Hi there, and welcome to the Click IQ Academy podcast. The Click IQ Academy is a learning and resources hub for recruiters, shaping the future and featuring insights from the sharpest minds in the industry. I'm Alan Walker, and in this episode, I talk to superstar recruiter and all-round good guy, Akbar Karenga. We discuss why recruiters need to behave more like marketeers and some of the things we can learn from other functions to be better at getting executive buy-in. Hey, Akbar. Great to speak to you again. How are you? How are you doing, Alan? I'm really good. And yourself? Yeah, really well, thank you. Really well. Um, so first things first, for those that might not know Akbar Karenga, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do? Um, well, I'm a recruitment geek. Um, I've been doing this now for eight, nine years. Um, starting off in agencies, um, S3 and um, a digital marketing boutique one. Moved to education first, um, actually in Shanghai, China, initially to recruit for them. Moved to London, did some global hiring for them. And I've just uh, finished off a contract at an amazing startup called White Hat. Now, I've met you and there's no way you're old enough to have done nine years in recruitment. You're far too young, Akbar. Um, what do they say? Start them young. So <laughs> um, it was my <laughs> first job out of uni. Uh, absolutely loved it. And um, just about to set up a consultancy that kind of ties in all these crazy experiences that I've been doing. Oh, that sounds quite exciting. So tell me, tell me a little bit more about... Um about your your background particularly you mentioned their education first which I mean I know it's took up a, a decent chunk of your career um perhaps tell me first though who are education first and what is it they do um think of aging education first as 40,000 people in 118 countries and just delivering two key products it's either the training of languages or the travel experiences um in foreign countries um, where I worked in for a large chunk is actually a B2B division, which sells those type of training opportunities to the Fortune 500. It's interesting. I know that industry is super exciting, having worked for a, a not a similar organisation, but an education company in the similar space. As you know, I worked for Pearson for a number of years. It's, yeah, really exciting, going fast, fast changing, evolving as a business, moving away from very traditional ways of doing things in the education world to becoming kind of super digitized aren't they yes um it's it's definitely changing absolutely so um tell me about some of your some of your highlights at education first and what what did you achieve there um probably the funnest situation was being in london but having 16 hiring managers all over the world so my day started with an apac conversation with somebody shanghai korea or tokyo about something crazy and I'm finishing with interview feedback for a sales director that I'm hiring for in Mexico City. So um, loads of different personalities and different cultural touch points, but still able to really deliver good operations and salespeople to those teams. Two points there, the the time zone challenges um, that, again, I've lived, the, lived that life myself, it's, it's significant. <laughs> uh, but also actually people forget it's not just about time zone, it is about that, that cultural piece. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? How did you kind of embrace those, those differences across those um, different countries and different types of hiring managers? So from Moscow to Italy to wherever, essentially my main hiring manager was usually a senior sales director and they had a number attached to their territory and the person that was hiring usually had some sort of explicit revenue KPI. So I had to really start understanding what is what is sales performance like for them and try and use that as kind of a translation tool where 
I might not understand the nuance of what it means for you to be a Brazilian, but definitely I know what you need for your team to win team of the year. And what does that look like in terms of the first three months of a sales manager that you're going to be hiring for? So it's very much about understanding the persona of the individual that you're hiring for as much as the persona of the, the candidate you're hired, trying to hire as well. So understanding their kind of wants, needs, desires and what their, their pressure points are. Yes, I just try and look at what is important to you. Um, what does that look like? Does it have a number? Um, what does that sound like in, to your ear? Just trying to humble myself and take myself as much out of this weird and unusual nuanced process that we call talent acquisition. Getting from um, from that hiring manager um, relationship and managing that piece and making sure that they're happy with, with you and the support you're giving them, etc. How about the recruitment challenges of having to hire in, in 16 different countries? That in itself is, is significant. Um, you, know, you will have somebody in a, a TA leadership role who may well oversee hiring for people across the whole globe. But actually, once you drop down a couple of levels and get down to recruiter level, um, most of the time, those those guys are looking after a country or maybe a group of countries. It's rare that they're recruiting across such a, a wide range. Um, how do you deal with the practical elements of that? And, and you know, everything from kind of sourcing and attraction through to, you talked briefly there about interview scheduling and feedback. How do you, how did you manage that? For example, in Moscow, um, there is a very small clique of prestigious universities and very mid to senior level people they will look at that and that'll be a a quick um win for their for somebody who's a sales manager if they are an alum from that university right okay but then that local knowledge is completely not applicable when i'm now recruiting from madrid um for example there so um i would say making sure that although this key account manager sales is the same title in each country really taking a proper detailed spec about those specific local needs. Um, Also being very humble in terms of the sell that a lot of people might not know who you are. So Education First was an amazing brand. Loads of people knew it, but then realizing that they still, you still need to sell and inform who you are, what makes you special because we were competing against Microsoft and Amazon and every amazing B2B SaaS player out there. We were never going to compete initially on we can pay more than the other people there. So we had to really speak to people who are passionate about development, maybe had an L&D piece in their life, maybe were passionate about travel or language. And that's why they said yes to us. And that's um, that's easier said than done, of course. And um, again, with the, the complexity of so many countries involved and so many different populations and types of individuals and um, how... I know this feels like this is a bit off topic, but I think it's it's relevant to what we're talking about. Last time me and you met, we talked about how recruitment needs to be more like sales and marketing, and I think we had a long a long conversation about that. Um, what did you mean by that? And um, how how can recruitment be better at, at those type of things, and why does it need to be? I'm going to be super cheeky, and I'll say um, you know the famous quote that the past is a uh, is a foreign country. I would say it is, and that country is called recruitment. <laughs> everything that <laughs> everything that we do in terms of how we deliver, how we work through tech, is basically what our sales and our marketing teams do for standard two, three years ago. Um, so, for example, in recruitment, look how we treat leads. For example, um, we spend a certain cost on a CPA for them to come in. And then we let them live and die in our ATS after speaking to them once or never at all. 
if I was to ask anyone who had um, a Marketo Nurture campaign as a marketeer and they did that through the leads that they paid for, their director would ask questions about how they're handling budget. Um, so that's one example that we looked into. We had our ATS and then thought of, okay, what can we do? Uh, we, we trialed Averture, we trialed in-house uh, Jobvite um, plugins as well. And also just actually just manual outreach of what we called our silver medalists, mm. people who kind of were really good or for some reason they said no or we said no and try and just use the content that we already have in terms of um, our outreach piece that we did for our clients. So if we had a major success or if we were able to be sponsoring the Olympics or one of the local sales teams won an award, that was um, packaged in a nice marketing campaign back to those silver medalists and to see if they were um, still interested in us further down the line. What kind of what kind of results did that give you compared to your maybe your traditional way of approaching recruitment before you started to implement that the silver medalist bit in particular i'm really interested in because they're they are exactly that they're good candidates who for whatever reason might not be right at that exact moment in time it doesn't mean they're not going to be right in in a week's time in a month's time in a year's time um so how 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 successful was that approach um so we were looking at time to hire for one of our cities and it was getting a little bit crazy. And we were thinking, okay, this is now time for us to maybe approach agencies. And that would have come to around a $11,000 cost for, um, for this city and for this agency. But then um, I said, let's try this um, just for two, three weeks to see who will come up from our silver medalists. And through that, we actually got two candidates and we overhired off the back of uh, one silver medalist said no to us because they had one offer from a really cool startup. That startup didn't work out and then he re-engaged and another person came through the same campaign for different reasons. So from us needing one and being very happy to have one, this silver medalist um, kind of outreach allowed us to get a bonus candidate and at zero cost. And that, that outreach itself, what, what does it look like? What are you saying to these people? Is it just a specifically you're a silver medalist not the exact words but you're a silver medalist we really liked you we've got another role you're interested in or was it more of a was it more of a nurture campaign and keeping them warm and, and on the hook it's 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 definitely not transactional just how would your marketing director think about the first message is not do you want a job we've got a job here's a job no it was like the actually i even remember it was the picture of the winning sales team um, it was all of them together looking super happy on our um, sales conference in Marbella. And it was like, Team X has just won an award for the, uh, for the best sales team across 19 countries. We're only uh, uh, proud of what they've done globally, but here's one or two key things from, and then I did a quote for one of the sales directors, why they liked working for us. Um, we just want to say thank you for considering us and congratulations, Team X. That was the initial hello. And then it was, there wasn't even a call to action there, for example, in that message. And then it was, okay, who opened it? Okay, who said, wow, I think one, the, one of the responses was, wow, that sounds really cool. That was about it. Then you start talking off the back of that. 
So you look at who's engaging, look at who's interested, look at who's, well, if they respond, that's that's really great. But actually just opening the email and, uh, and clicking on something in itself is a really positive sign. And how were you, um, how were you delivering that, that campaign? You mentioned Marketo for marketeers. Were you using Marketo for recruitment? So that one was actually, Jobvite was our ATS at the time. Yeah. And I went to the company that said they had an extra module around referrals, an extra module around a CRM piece. And I said, can we try that uh, in this specific case? And I just want to maybe make a case for the general business. I got on well with the account manager and I was like, you can charge me the X number of dollars and then I would have to go and ask for it through my FD. Yeah. And then that's time wasted. Why don't we work with each other here? I, w- I want to have good news so that I can have that conversation much easier and potentially buy more. So we use Jobvite, um, their CRM function to deliver that. I like your smart negotiating skills there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Did you end up buying more? Were you a cruel abuser of your kind vendor? Um, no, um, well, I really, really tried. Actually, we got the, we got them in, um, also because we were already trialing, um, Aperture, um, another CRM at the same time, we were able to get them involved in the conversation and they were joined in on the trial. So, uh, I wasn't super cheeky. Um, <laughs> I, I like to follow up and if somebody's nice to me, I try and be nice back. No, good, good, good to hear it. As somebody who works with vendors, I'm very pleased to hear that. And um, I think that's a really, a really interesting point you make there about that that marketing approach. And um, if you you said that we should be doing things how sales and marketing folk were doing them two or three years ago, I think some of them were doing it ten years ago. Um, so, but actually, yeah, it's become the norm in, in more recently. It's uh, as you say, if you went onto onto a consumer website and you were looking at the price of beans, and then you didn't decide to buy beans. You wouldn't expect them then to throw you uh, an email within five seconds saying, "Hey, do you fancy some peas?" Straight away, it's just, it's, it doesn't work, does it? You need to be, you need to be no. warm, you need to be nurtured, you need to feel loved, you need to see mm-hmm. interesting, relevant content that make that kind of buys you into the, buy, helps you buy into the process and um, and and the organisation and and will slowly turn you in from a, a maybe to a I've got to work for these guys. Um, I'm all over it. I love the culture. I love the brand. I love what they're doing. I love how they support each other. And there's so many different pieces of content that you can bring to life in an organization. It's all there, but recruiters often struggle to identify it. I, I even look at even if you really think super top of the funnel. So if you were to look at your funnel, the biggest part of your funnel is the people that don't apply for your role. So um, I once went to my account manager for an ATS um, for a different company. And I asked them, can I please get the raw figures for our visits to website? Um, can your ATS do that? And they said, unfortunately, no. And I was thinking to myself, if I went to my marketing director and I said, well, how many unique visitors did we have to our just general websites? And he didn't know that number or she didn't know that number. That would be a problem um, in itself there. So really, really thinking like a marketeer. Um, I actually Stan, um, uh, he really hooked me up to Hotjar and Smart Lookup as like little plugins that you can put in your recruitment page to really track who comes onto your website, who leaves your website, what is their gender ratio, do they buy beans yeah. <laughs> through their cooking history, that kind of stuff there. So there's, I would suggest thinking more about what these amazing businesses who have great visibility at board level. Um, 
they've already got the buy-in. They know how to uh, sell themselves to get budgets. So why don't we try and steal some of their ideas? Oh, absolutely. And um, and, and the reason they can get that, that budget and the reason they get support from um, senior level and from C-suite, et cetera, is because exactly as you say, they go armed with data. They go armed, supported by evidence. And if you're not able to do that, Actually, the first thing you need to ask for support from the C-suite is a way to do it. And they will happily give you that support. If you can say, look, I want to build a business case that we should be spending X amount of money. But to do that first, I need to collect the data to say it's worth doing. Then they'll support you. Then when you go back and go, I've got the data now, guys. Um, Here we go. We're getting X number of visitors, but they're dropping off and they're going elsewhere for this reason. So we need to improve this element. or We need to talk more positively about this or the content we're putting out there isn't great. So we need to produce better content. That's, that's like this and this is the reason why because if we can convert three percent of the people who used to leave the site into actual candidates then suddenly we're getting 10 times the amount of candidates we used to get and then they're going to support it but you can't go armed with a finger in the air i think this is right or this seems to be the right thing to do and even you, it's rare nowadays that c-suite will support you if you say well other organizations are doing it they want evidence that actually it's right for your particular organization. And you can only do that with data. Alan, that's a fantastic point. Like, I, KPIs that actually matter to the business. I'll give you like a, a really good one, which is time to hire. So if you go, this will improve my time to hire to the FD, he'd be like, oh, great. That's fantastic. I, that's great. But then actually think what are the KPIs that go beyond the initial one that in, us in TA care about? So time to hire could actually be calculated on what is the empty chair cost of a salesperson. For every day we do not close this, we lose X number in revenue. Or if we don't have a good onboarding process, um, times the, their first year salary by 2.3, that is the cost in the in turnover of a bad hire who leaves within their first yeah. um, three months. So that's calculated by and border, for example. So that if I was to say, okay, this is why I want to buy this solution or I want this process because this is our bottom line. Yeah. Now I'm speaking their language. They don't need to translate into my TA speak. No, absolutely. And that's a really good point. The more you can drill stuff down into into hard cash numbers. So what's the monetary value of this? Is it gonna is it gonna save money? Is it going to create cost? Is it going to generate revenue? If you can do that and you can really boil it down, then you're, you're onto a winner. And actually, most recruitment metrics can be converted into those kind of measures if you're smart and you understand how they're, how they're impacted. And the example you gave there about onboarding is a great one. You know, if your onboarding process is ropey, it's not great. People aren't particularly engaged by it. They don't feel, feel inspired. They join the organization in a very a neutral mood rather than a positive mm-hmm. mood raring to go, it's going to take the longer to get up to, up to the point of um, satisfactory performance. And the longer it takes, the more it costs the business because they're not generating revenue as quickly as they should be. I was at a hired event uh, and they were just uh, talking four amazing people on the panel and each of them both highlighted um, tracking employee sentiments on like a fortnightly level. Um, obviously, there are a couple of companies that do this. And these are four amazing businesses that we know and love and like the darlings in the fintech mm. space. And I could have gone to them, oh, to my manager at the time and said, oh, I want to use that service there because this delivery company uses it. 
but actually I spoke to the head of marketing. I was like, okay, actually, why do you use it? How much does it cost? And the it was just crazy. The fact that you can just nearly smell turnover and actually start planning around, oh, this is an unhappy team. Let's either engage with them or do this or that. All I need to do was say, I will save one person potentially deciding to leave before we think they want to leave. Yeah. And that paid for the license, that conversation. Exactly. And then if you get the golden thread coming all the way back into your recruitment process between that team or those individuals that might want to leave and you start to look at, actually, why? Have we recruited the wrong person? Did we did we assess them in the wrong way? Did we interview in the wrong way? Did we decide to hire the wrong person? Actually, maybe we got all that right, but was that onboarding piece wrong? And uh, mm-hmm. and then you can start to understand it. Why has that person become disenfranchised? It's often not because of the recruitment process. You know, it might not well mm-hmm. be. Um, it could be, as I said, that onboarding bit that's kind of semi recruitment, semi HR. It kind of overlaps the two. It could be something completely different. But actually, if you can correlate it with recruitment and say it could be us, and let's find out if it was, then fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it's all doable. The data is there in most organisations now. It's just getting. It's being smart enough to create that thread running all the way through from actually almost to the point of the hiring manager saying, this is the kind of person we want to hire through mm-hmm. through the candidate experience and then well into the employee experience. And you can do some amazing stuff with it. it it's abs- I completely agree with you there where it is there. There are really smart tech solutions that you can try and use. Hopefully you will use and like and buy yeah. <laughs> potentially. But um, even like if we've been talking about maybe post um, kind of onboarding, but what about even at the front about DNI being a massive talking point now? So if we're talking about we want ratios to look like this, how would a sales team attack that number problem? Mm. They'd be like, if that is the key KPI, okay, um, use something like be applied. Okay, let's blind the first stage of the process. Let's focus on two or three things. Unless A, B, and test it, uh, and has it been successful? Okay, now we have a training problem for our hiring managers, and we've taken the selection problem and bias yep. problem out of a CV. That's there now. Anyone can do it. Exactly, and you push the problem as far back as you do can, can't you? I don't mean away, but actually you, you start at the very beginning and say, is, it, is the issue here? No, it's not. Let's go to the mm-hmm. next stage. Is it here? No, it's not. And you just keep mm-hmm. going and going and going until you identify where the problem is, fix it there mm-hmm. and see if it continues and keep fixing as far into mm-hmm. the process as you can until you, until you totally eradicate the problem, if you can. Mm-hmm. But um, most problems can be dealt with in some way, shape or form. As they say, no problems in this world, just challenges that we'll overcome. And that's a cliche, yeah. but it's, it's true most of the time. Um, I, I've actually probably my last uh, kind of little anecdote about sales and marketing is there was one time um, when my when I was at EF, so somebody asked me, "Oh, let's hire a Tartar speaking customer service rep in Barcelona." So Easy. Tartar is a, yeah <laughs> language spoken by four million people. It's technically a dying language. Um, the reason I, I was like, okay, but the first thing I did instead of me diving in and starting a really hard job for myself, I was like, okay. What is the total addressable market? Mm. How do we define it? How many Tata speakers are there in Barcelona? And what is the quickest way to do that? LinkedIn recruiter, language as a first or second choice, and use a different scripts. And then I was able to come back and I said to the said person, there are only 12 people in the city <laughs> that know how to do this. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we need to maybe consider a wider remit. 
or let's manage our expectations and say this will be somebody not in Barcelona right now. Okay, maybe now let's push on the referral aspects to it of the Tatar speaking teams that we have across the world in terms of um, our, our employees already there. And that's who we hired. It's actually a friend of a friend of somebody who was already a Tata speaking person in our business. They're the one that was actually able to find us that candidate. I think that's again that's that's really a, a sales and marketing thing, isn't it? Understanding your understanding your addressable market, also understanding your competition. If you were going after those twelve people in Barcelona, but also there was another twelve companies going after them, then that would make mm-hmm. it twenty times harder than it already was anyway. <laughs> exactly. You know, there's not many of them, but then everybody else wants to hire them. It's impossible. But actually, that doesn't matter whether if there was ten, if there was twelve thousand Tartar speaking. Um, people in Barcelona, but actually there was another 10,000 companies trying to hire them. It's just as difficult. It's just mm-hmm. as much of a challenge. There's only so much um, supply of those speakers and and mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of demand of them. And again, sales mm-hmm. and marketing folk will always look at that. And uh, as will you know, finance people and ops people and procurement people, they do all of that stuff, that numbers thing, and, mm-hmm. and turn everything into a, um, a very much a data-driven approach and as i said earlier that's why they win friends and influence people at c-suite i think we are getting better i don't want to be negative about the world of ta but and i've seen so many good examples you're one of them and i talk to people all the time where we are getting much better at this stuff but i think we've got a, a long way to go still yeah liz dowling is a great example um she is super focused around um hyper growth um startups and once somebody a business has series a funding if you look at the pipe that they ask for, the the pie that they ask for in terms of funding is usually around I want X million to hire X number of people. Mm. Okay, so already your founders have already sat down and gained money. A large chunk of that is coming to you. So you know that get some confidence around that and there are some really cool people who do it really well. Absolutely. Anyway, on that note, um, that note of really cool people doing things really well, um, thanks for joining me for, for this podcast, mate. It's been really appreciated. Great fun talking to you as ever. Adam, thank you so much for your time. And yeah, all the best. Yeah, my pleasure. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Big thanks to Agbar for his thoughts on how recruiters need to act more like marketeers. And a big thanks to you for listening. Everything we've discussed today can be found at Academy dot clickiq.co.uk and any questions or feedback can be sent to hello at clickiq.co.uk